All right, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for uh, being on here. Appreciate uh, appreciate the time. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. We finally made it work between us. <laughs> finally, yeah, it's been a uh, shoot. I think we first started talking about the podcast uh, right after your grizzly bear hunt. I think so too. Yeah, and and then you were out, and then I was out, and then we were both out, and uh, we're just able to squeeze one in before we probably both leave again. I think we're both out somewhere on Friday. Sounds like. Yeah, yeah. So let's, I guess, start with that one because you just got back from a fog knack for elk. Um, I so I, that's got to be talked about. But let's start with the grizzly bear hunt. Um, let's do a little bit different here. If you're going to just put three words to it. What would be the three words that you would describe your, uh, your grizzly bear hunt? Most grueling ever. Most grueling ever. <laughs> Most grueling ever. That was, you know, I've, I've put my body through some pretty rigorous things and that was by far probably the hardest I've ever like pushed myself physically and mentally and not even in just a hunt but in like in life mm-hmm. um and if you know anybody that's hunted up here in alaska like most of your listeners are familiar with tussocks and um bugs that are in the summer like up north and just how horrendous and those can be, and you just add all those things together, plus 20 miles, plus a, you know, 75 pound pack. And that just creates for the perfect storm of what the hell am I doing to myself right now? <laughs> so as a, as a firefighter, you've, you kind of like, you chosen a career that's, that has that physical sort of challenge. So, um, I mean, you're prepared, but ultimately no matter what you do in training wise, it doesn't really prepare you for, for, uh, outdoors. So what elements of being a firefighter prepared you for the grueling hunt? And then where did it maybe not? Um, gosh, I think it's so much is transferable and that's what I think I've come to appreciate so much about both equally, like my job and being outside is like, you can't, you, you think that you can be prepared for anything, but really the gist of it is it's like you just have to be willing to be ready for literally anything that and that same holds true for on the job and out in, you know, grizzly bear country or anytime you're hunting anything. Um, so I think that part is probably the most transferable. It's like you, you can think that you can train as hard, but until like you're in an actual like structure fire or, and, and things are actually going haywire, um, you know, it's like you, you can't really train for that, but you can kind of mentally prepare yourself to be ready for anything. And I think that's probably been the best part about, you know, my job with the fire department, I'm coming up on eight years um, in March. And when I came back from this hunt, you know, I, I remember we had a, a few pretty like physically grueling calls. And I remember thinking to myself, like, this is nowhere as near as hard as like what I just put my body through like a few weeks ago, you know, and then the same will hold true, like on, on hunts, you know, where it's like, yeah, this is hard, but I just did something way harder at work last week. So for anybody that's outside, you know, like 80 percent of it's like a mental game that you end up just kind of flip-flopping on yourself and Mm -hmm. 
when I was coming up on like mile 18 and 19, you know, slogging back to the truck, it was just such a roller coaster <laughs> of like emotions. Like I felt like I literally had a little devil on my shoulder that was like, you're such a little, you know, biatch, like, <laughs> how are you tired right now? Like you trained for this. And then one on the other side that was like, you can do it. Like I was seeing things, hearing things like anything to get me back to that truck. And mm-hmm. it was, it was a wild experience. <laughs> so as, as a, as a high school teacher, I always like to think about <laughs> what uh, my guests were like in high school. So like oh would, would, would high school senior, you looked at those last couple miles of you making your way back to the truck and think, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much exactly what I think my future is going to be. Or like maybe would the teacher have guessed that that would be you uh, later on in life? It probably would have been the teacher. Like <laughs> I was very much like involved in a lot of different sports, um, but hunting was never, I, I never hunted. Um, I was outside, you know, and I fished and did some camping, but it wasn't until after I moved home from college and a few other things that like, I really, and that was after like my collegiate soccer career. Also, it's like when you're kind of growing up and you're focused on, okay, well, I'm going to college to be a collegiate soccer athlete. Like that's what you do. And there's really no time Mm -hmm. to do anything else if you want to be proficient at it. And so, um, you know, I didn't go on my first hunt until about five, years ago but it was such a like a fluid transition that was like kicking myself like why in the hell did I wait so long to get Mm. into this this space but I was occupied with other things that were just as fulfilling you know so I don't necessarily feel like I was missing out because I was still you know active in in the spaces that I was in it just made the transition into like this seem pretty fluid and natural yeah yeah, that could, I remember growing up, um, fished a lot here in Southeast, but uh, didn't hunt. And then basketball was like number one. And then go to college yeah. and University of Arizona was really good. So I had no chance of playing there. But um, <laughs> as a journalism student, I was writing about basketball. And then once I started teaching, I was coaching. And so there was like the work part of the day was the teaching. But then basketball is such a huge part of my life. And now after not coaching basketball, like hunting has just been this thing outside of work that takes so much time energy, but that I also look forward to so much. And it's, it's no surprise that so many hunters have an athletic background because there's that something, that physical challenge, that, that deriving of confidence by doing something difficult. And then it's just like a perfect transition. But it yeah, really- I, I think back, oh, man, I, I, I would not have been opposed to my, my parents taking me out hunting when I was younger, but you know, you can't look back and, and regret. Right. Cause yeah, look at like what you've accomplished now, you know, and it's like, who knows the direction that your life would have taken you in, you mm-hmm. know? Was there a barrier of entry? Um, it's not, it's not just with, uh, with women, but also with men. If you're not shown how to hunt when you're a kid, um, uh, by family member, it can be difficult and intimidating. So was there a bit of a barrier of entry to get you uh, you hunting or how'd you start that? I wouldn't necessarily say barrier of, of entry, but it, um, you know, I kind of had to take it upon myself to fully recognize like this is something that is brand new to me. And, you know, like any athlete, nobody likes not being good at something. So it's like, if I want to do this, like I recognize I'm not going to be able to do this on my own. There is some element of, yeah, like you got to struggle through and figure some things out, but 
you know, luckily I'm surrounded by, you know, a lot of really great friends and people that are kind of involved in that space out here. And, um, you know, if once it came to like buying my first rifle, you know, like I had a, maybe too many cooks in the kitchen, mm. um, but, you know, like asking people advice and questions and ultimately it just came down to me. It's like, okay, I can uh, gather all this info, do my own research. And ultimately I need to be happy and confident in my choices that I'm making. So, you know, the same held, yeah, held true for, you know, purchasing a rifle or like going on a hunt or like what type of, I mean, the gear list, obviously endless. Um, mm-hmm. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say barrier, but um, finding, you know, people to hunt with all the time. It's like that, that part um, has been somewhat challenging. It's like, you know, you talk to guys that have been hunting with the same same group for 15 plus years or like the same moose camp, you know, it's like mm-hmm. they got their situation dialed and it's like, you're not just getting invited, invited anywhere, you know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I kind of had to create some of those of like my own. It's like, okay, well, I'm can't just get a, an easy invite onto any of these hunts. So if I want to do something, I either kind of need to take the reins and like, make a plan myself and then maybe invite somebody else to come along. Um, and that's kind of what I'm doing this year with this blacktail hunt. You know, last year was the first year I did this, that one, and I brought a few girlfriends and it ended up being awesome. And now I feel really good going in. I'm like confident in like how to hunt, where we're hunting and like the whole program. Whereas last year it was like kind of a fish out of water. And I'm just like, fuck it. Like, we're just going <laughs> to see how this goes, you know? It's like, yeah. I have no idea hunted blacktail before and it ended up being great you know yeah it's pretty funny about uh, moose camp because down here um there's a lot of people who hunt but you can kind of go anywhere and you can kind of cycle through some, some different areas and if you want to hunt someone with like who isn't your hunting buddy um you can go to maybe a lesser sort of area so you don't reveal anything to this new person and it's sure. like all right you know we'll go to we'll go to a C or a B spot but also I'm not really sure how you're going to handle the hiking and the miles so let's go to somewhere that we can have a good experience and then maybe get a deer but up there in Moose Camp I was talking with Jack and he was saying yeah in order to get you have to get invited after years and years, but it's more likely that someone has to like pass away or move in order for you to take up a spot. And even then it's pretty crazy. So I thought, man, that's, that's, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, People get, don't mess around with moose. Get, like, grandfathered in to that type of stuff, you know? Um, and like, you know, John, who I was hunting with in a fog neck, he's been hunting the same moose camp for God, I think at this point, like something like 52 years. That's crazy. Super (laughs) crazy. Like I could have sat around all day and listened to his hunting stories, but he's so modest. It was like pulling teeth to get anything out of the man. Yeah. That I kind of like that about the older generation is some of those people can tell really good stories, but they're, they're, they're so unencumbered with any sort of social media presence. And they're so happy and content with, just telling it to whoever's going to listen. There's no, you know, I like There's telling no stories. Audience. I know. It, that, yes, whoever's sitting down, you know, having a cocktail, coming back from a hunt. It's like whoever's lucky enough to just happen to be in the right place in the right time. You can just get hit with like infinite wisdom, yeah. you know, from these guys. And he was more apt to telling me about other people's success 
mm. than his own. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a cool thing. And it's it, there's nothing against podcasts and, and writing I'm, as a writer and as a podcaster, I like to tell stories and like to hear people's stories. So it's not yeah. necessarily that it's better or worse, but man, it just, it makes you appreciate the kind of the old timers, those people who, you know, just do the thing for doing the thing's sake, not so they can leverage it or so that they can make anything about it. So it's not a production and uh, man, it's, it's, it's really cool. And it's cool to be influenced by those sort of people. And you get that frame of reference. I think if you're, if your only experience about hunting and what hunting is like is just what you've seen on YouTube, then you can be influenced by a, a more showy sort of attitude and a more antlers are the only thing and any shot to, to get the shot and record everything. Whereas if you have some people who have been hunting for a long time, you can kind of get that really good bounce. You can tell a story in a way that kind of understands hunting as it, as it was and now as it is. And I think you can pay homage to that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it really inspired me to like ditch everything and go out in a flannel and some jeans and like a frame pack. And like, that's it. It's like, <laughs> that's it. You know what I mean? And like, yeah. we got it so good and so easy, like compared to like what all these old timers were doing. It's, it's, you know, it's humbling. Yeah. Um, just a bunch of savage badass. <laughs> I was talking with my buddy last week and we're out at his cabin and he was telling me about how when he was a kid, his, uh, his dad took him out in a skiff and they had to be rescued by, um, a commercial fishing boat. Cause you know, back in the day you got a weather report and like, you don't go on your app and see what the winds are going to do. And you don't get these sophisticated atmospheric models that tell you exactly what the weather is going to be at this time of day. It's, it's a rough estimate of a rough, of a rough area. And yep. You know, even now with all that sophisticated stuff, like the weather can be wrong. And so they were out there in the skiff and it was five footers and it was, you know, they were about ready to, to roll. And he was like seven or eight years old. But, you know, that's that's his memories of, of just doing it and getting it. And I thought, man, yeah, there's no um, SOS. There was no um, uh, in reach. There was no, you know, and you're, it's just so different in how easy it is for us now to judge the weather and make a decision based on weather. And then when we're out there, you can track things on your on X and you can do all these things. And it's pretty nice. Yeah, it is pretty crazy. Yeah. yeah. Back then it was just like, save yourself. Exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's get to the, to the grizzly bear hunt. So, um, you got one and it was uh, way back in there, but, uh, what's, what's kind of the, the abbreviated story. Man. Yeah. That was my first predator hunt. Um, so yeah, like it was, it was, um, a lot of learning, you know, the guy that I was with was bow hunting and I had my bow, but was also, you know, that's, I'm such a new bow hunter also that like, I haven't got to the point yet where I'm like leaving the rifle at home. Like I'm not too proud for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, so both came and I packed both and you know, we really didn't see any sign, um, much for like the first handful of days. And it wasn't until the hike out where we kind of just kind of came like nose to nose with this like beautiful blonde sow. And, you know, she was probably at that point, like, I don't know, a hundred yards. Um, but where we were at, um, we kind of had to, 
the wind wasn't necessarily in our favor and she saw us and she ended up just kind of skirting like way around and ended up putting a stock on her, but it ended up putting us back in further. Um, and it was, uh, kind of a, a I don't want to say perfect stock by any means, but the wind had shifted. It seemed like she kind of knew we were there. Um, but I ended up landing like a perfect 200 yard shot right behind her shoulder and, it was later in the afternoon at this point, but we had started our hike out that day. Um, but, you know, and I'm sure you can relate and anybody can relate that you've been in scenarios where you're like, God, just I've, I've gotten hung up and it's really bitten me in, in the ass every time. But like, I just never will leave my pack anymore. And so what did we do? We left our packs. <laughs> right. And so by the time, okay, bear down, we had to hike back out three miles to grab our packs three miles back to the bear and then you know the remaining like 12 whatever miles to to get out so it ended up being about 21 miles on the day stumbled back to the truck at like 1 a.m and just swamp you know storm but it's like you would think that you know, that torrential downpour that kind of comes down would like move any of those bugs around, but it was like the same 2000 mosquitoes swarming my face <laughs> the entire time. And like, I was haunted in my dreams for like the, the following few weeks after that from just like the hum. Mm. I don't think if I didn't have that mosquito net, like I probably would have taken, taken bullet. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it was, it was awesome. And I actually, when I just went and dropped my elk off for the Euro, um, my guy, Christian, um, at Grizzly taxidermy here in Anchorage had my bear done and that's laying across my ottoman right now. Nice. And it's the most beautiful blonde thing I've ever seen. Nice. That's awesome. So like kind of anticlimactic, you know, but like it was, it was a really cool experience and I, you know, it was like, okay, that is, you know, close to what my body, what I feel like I can put my body through, like the peak. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but had the truck been five more miles, yeah, I would have gone five more miles. So it's just one of those, it's just, you just do it, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> I, I got a buddy who's, um, he's done a, lo- a bunch of, of hiking and weightlifting and stuff. And, you know, he's like, well, you're going to do it. Like, you're not going to stay here. You're not, you're not going to stay on this mountain and perish. So, you know, you might as well not complain too much about it. Like you can accept the misery, but you have to go. There's no other alternative. So I mean, that's what's so funny, right? Like I'm sure we have friends that are guides and that, you know, do all these different things. And I've heard these stories of clients being out there and like, no, I can't do that. And it's like, (laughs) well, what do you think the alternative is? Like, I'm not going to pick your ass up. Like, cross that river yeah like, that's what you're gonna do like that's where we gotta go like the river's not gonna disappear <laughs> yeah I, and i, I don't not know <laughs> not everybody's built the same and uh you know sometimes it takes really really uncomfortable situations for people to figure out like what what they're made of yeah when when people talk about the self-esteem you get from hunting people assume that it's just you get self-esteem from killing an animal and that's not it at all there's there times of your life where you have to prove what you're made of and you get the chance to either be exposed or rise to the occasion 
Like it's fun to rise to the occasion. It's, it's fun to feel that satisfaction. Yes, it absolutely does suck, but just to find like this new level of something that you can do and accomplish, like that's, that's real and that's genuine. And you don't get those opportunities a whole lot. Not that you really ask for them because that means that you're, you're going to have to be uncomfortable, but yeah, there's, there's nothing like it being out there and it sucks and you take some breaks, but you know, you just get it done and you know, you're not that far removed from being a hunter gatherer. Like if, if it was 500 years ago, you might actually survive. Probably not, but maybe. Yeah, <laughs> totally. From billion dollar ad budgets and arena naming rights to tens of thousands of retail locations, big wireless providers spend big to appear like they're your only option. How do they afford it all? <laughs> that big bill you get at the end of every month. Mint Mobile had a different idea. Instead of brick and mortar overhead, Mint Mobile is online only. What does that mean for you? A whole lot of savings because wireless plans from Mint Mobile start at just $15 a month. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for just $15 a month. You'll save enough that you can get a brand new rod and reel for the upcoming season. For anyone who just hates their phone bill, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just $15 a month. All plans come with unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. You can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan, and you can even keep your same phone number along with all of your existing contacts. By going online only and eliminating traditional costs of retail, Mint Mobile passes significant savings on to you. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash waypoint. That's mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to $15 a month at mintmobile.com slash waypoint. So moving on to, uh, to elk, you, uh, you got the bear, you were excited. Was there anything that, uh, you maybe learned from the bear hunt that made you think, okay, uh, I got this mindset going into, uh, to the elk hunt because the fog neck elk is renowned for elk and also for, uh, for big, huge brown bears. So, um, was there anything different in the mental preparation or gear wise or anything? Um, I feel like you know, you kind of just hear those horror stories about like Kodiak brown bears and that's just, they're aggressive, they're everywhere. Um, so I was fully ready, uh, and anticipating that, but, you know, even going into this hunt, John, who is the reason that I went over there, John Sturgeon, um, he kind of warned me, he's like, Emily, I hate to break it to you, but this isn't going to be like your normal, like, hunt i know you like to get out there boots on the ground kind of get after it he's like we kind of got it good um so he's got years invested um in that logging operation over there so we had quite a few luxuries that most people that hunt that area do not have um so i was very grateful uh you know in this the, that he was the reason that I went. He was the one that had suggested I put in for that tag. And, you know, when those came out, he was the first one I got a text from that was like, look like, looks like we're going elk hunting, <laughs> <laughs> which is awesome. So yeah, for those that don't know, John Sturgeon is kind of, I feel like a, an icon in Alaska, as far as like hunters rights and advocacy and 
I've never met a more involved and invested person into like rights for Alaskans and Alaska Alaskan hunters. So it was quite an honor to, you know, kind of be included in the accolades of, you know, elk hunters that he's had over there kind of staying at his operation. Um, so I had quite a, I had a little debacle at the airport um, getting out. So I uh, got hung up in Kodiak an extra night and ended up getting into camp a day late. So our first day out, there was another hunter in the group and we were in a group of four uh, but I finally made it out, so I wasn't able to shoot that day, but we were still looking for elk where, for the other hunter. And um, so this this is where, yeah, it gets a little different because I've had people express, like, that is the most grueling hunt, like, I've ever experienced. And the only grueling part was, like, for us is, like, we were in a truck for <laughs> a long amount of time. <laughs> <laughs> So I fully recognize that like this was an abnormal for this area, but this is how, you know, John did it and does it. So I was happy to be, you know, just a part of it. Yeah. Um, but on day two, uh, I ended up spotting, you know, this herd that was probably about a mile from the road. And, you know, it was one of the first times I ever got to hear like, a bugle response so that was really exciting it was the first time i'd seen an elk in person um also wild and so where we were hunting you know it's these logging roads and there's acres of like clear cut around some of these areas where we're looking for the herd so like these trees that are cut off at the stump like to me they all look like a giant herd of elk <laughs> mm. um so, so that was a learning curve you know just because you don't know we, you don't know. I didn't know what I was looking for until you right. see him. And like, it was actually like John was driving the road creeping. I was like, actually, John, can you back up a second? <laughs> so he backs up and I caught the ass end. Yeah. Of, um, a few elk that were like moving in through some of the thicker stuff about a mile off the road. So he drives a little bit further. Three of us, you know, kind of haul up making a plan and, put a stock on them and this was probably like nine in the morning and through you know anybody that's been over to Kodiak knows that like you can't hide like from any of the, the thick raspberry like you're just in it uh you know you can sometimes skirt around if you get into the spruce like the bigger trees and stuff but we kind of whacked our way up and miraculously we landed like on this knob that ended up being like right on top of them they kind of ended up being in a cut like in the thick 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 the thick of the thick <laughs> and um you know we spotted this group of like four or five cows and the guy that was in front of me was like you know he kind of mouthed back like they're right here like four or five cows and so i chambered one and i kind of crept up behind him and just as I got next to him, one lifted its head up and I was like, well, I'm no scientist or, or biologist, but that definitely doesn't look like a cow. <laughs> um, and ended up being that bull that I spotted from the road. So I was able to shoot at 40 yards and put it down. And then the other guy in the group decided he wanted to take a cow that was like just as big as the bull that I took. So, you know, all of a sudden day two, 
we had two monster elk down and it was 10 30 in the morning and Dang. it was awesome <laughs> Uh, we, you know, we got blessed on the weather, never had to wear our rain gear once. Nice. That's, that's very <laughs> rare. I have a couple of buddies who have gone up to Kodiak or actually acquaintances. I should say that they've gone up there and it's been sunny. Said so you have not got the true Kodiak experience. I've never been there, but it's the same sort of thing as if someone comes up here to Southeast Alaska and, and hunts, if you don't get the rain, then you did not get the experience. Same thing with Kodiak. Yep. Yep. So luckily I got the full experience last year when I was there for my first time. <laughs> Rain, sun, snow, wind, hail, like repeat for a week straight. Um, so it was, it was like the best day of just packing out meat. Weather was perfect. We never had any bear encounters. Um, I made the first load out by myself uh, because the other two guys didn't have packs with them. So they stayed up and butchered meat. And I, you know, worked the three quarter of the mile back to the truck. And at that point, like I was a little bit nervous, um, but I had, you know, my sidearm on my chest. I was obnoxiously loud. <laughs> like, you know, was that the video that you shared? Supposed to do, you know, was that the video that you put on uh, Instagram? Oh, yeah, where I'm just like, <laughs> no, 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 thank you. Not today, another lover. You know, like, you just, you do what you got to do. And then, like, finally, once I got the truck inside, I was like, okay, I think I'm home free. And, uh, you know, John was insistent. He wanted to come up and, like, help pack a load out. So, like, who am I to tell him no? But just, like, like he's my dad. I was worried you know he's almost 80 but a badass and a savage so it was just yep let's go you want to go let's go and then we ended up making uh two more loads with our group and then got both elk out and we're like back to camp by six o'clock and it, it was really really cool it was felt awesome to have like a heavy pack everybody contributed you know it was sunny we didn't have any mishaps nobody got hurt um and then we're like shit that's the end of the hunt like it was kind of a bummer you know like i was i was hopeful that like you know maybe he the other guy in the group wasn't going to shoot and we could still kind of keep looking for you know another herd for the next few days but pressure was off everybody was happy john will do anything for elk meat so he was happy and it was really really neat so there was because you weren't super way back in there or flown at or anything you didn't really have that experience of the the gun goes off the elk is down and is something on its way so you had like a the limited bear experience but nothing that was too crazy yeah i mean i was n nervous for the third pack out um because we took the cow down on the second one and then it took us a while to get back up there for the third but we had bagged all mine up in game bags and drug them and put them in some, you know, not super high up, but like probably, you know, 50 yards away from where the gut pile was. Um, but on our way back up, there were like, there was fresh bear shit and like new tracks. So it's like, they knew we were there. Mm -hmm. um, so I was a little bit nervous that we were going to come up and some quarters were going to be missing, but we did, other than that day, like we saw bears every day, but it was always from the safety of like a truck. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it was really cool to like get eyes on and just like watch them and see them move. And they're just, they're big. 
you yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, I was, you know, growing up uh, down here, we have black bears um, on Prince of Wales. And then here in Ketchikan area, we have mostly black bears. Um, so just that's what we're used to. And I, I've shot one deer. And by the time I was able to get to it, because it was down in a, in a clear cut, there was a black bear that was on its way to claim it. And I just kind of came around the corner and it was there and it was, it was surprised and I was surprised and it hadn't claimed it to the point where it was territorial. And so I just like yelled at it and then it took off. And so the entire time I was butchering it, but you know, brown bears, grizzly bears, a lot more aggressive. I was up on that caribou hunt last um, month. Was it last month? Yeah. Um, shot the care or shot the caribou, uh, took off the fronts and then hung those in a tree and then, because it was starting to get dark, so we went back to camp, but we put the the uh, caribou, we separated it from the guts, and then put it in some brush, but not so hidden where we wouldn't be able to see if uh, the grizzly was on it. So yeah. it was in a spot where we didn't really worry too much about it, but you start to think, all right, well, we don't have, there's not enough trees to really hang it anywhere, so this is kind of the option that we have, and we put everything in an area where we can get a good, uh, we can get the wind, we can look at it, see if there's anything claiming it. So you hear the stories and you think that it's it, it's the dinner bell and, you know, the bears are going to come in. But if you just do what you're supposed to do, then for the most part, you know, you really should be fine. Yeah, I think I, I completely agree. And there's always that rare scenario where it's like you catch an ornery one, you know, and they're going to do what they're going to do, even if you do everything right. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, you know, whether you want to call it luck or just being efficient or like aware, we, uh, we made out pretty good this time. And then my first time in Kodiak last year, we also didn't have any, you know, encounters, even though like there were signs and we saw quite a few, um, you know, whenever we had bucks down, it was like, let's gut, let's move, you know, drag him to the beach, did the cover up thing and it ended up working out good. So, um, yeah, who knows luck or just probably a combination of a few things, but I'm actually, yeah, heading back to Kodiak on Friday for a blacktail hunt. Uh, nice. <laughs> so I'll be, be doing the same kind of thing, uh, come next week. Are you using the same rifle for everything? Yeah, I got a Tika 300 Win Mag, and, you know, like I was mentioning to you earlier, it's, you know, I kind of asked around, asked people from some opinions, like, what they think a good all-around rifle was, and then ultimately I was like, yep, this one looks great, and so far it's, you know, done well for me. I've killed quite a few things, and um, they've it's all been... Um, minus the bear this this year like everything has been 200 yards or below like so i haven't really had to test test it um and like it's reach but um yeah i've been really happy with it so far yeah most of my shots have been i don't know i think the furthest shot was a 220 maybe something like that i think maybe the mule deer was was 300 but yeah shoot there's really not much of a need 150 to 250 yards. Like you're going to be in great shape. So, you know, yeah. something you shoot effectively. And that's what, gosh, one of the things when, it, if you say anything about a six, five Creedmoor, then <laughs> it, there's just going to be people yelling, talking, whatever, you know, what caliber is the best caliber? Just so many people saying, Oh, you know, nothing smaller than this or that. And it is crazy. So I, I'm just, of 
so many opinions <laughs> and a lot of it doesn't even like you just, you choose what you're good at shooting and something that you're comfortable with and you're happy with. And then you just go with that, whether it be a, I shoot a 270 and we've used that. My wife and I both got our goats with a 270, um, all the deer, a couple black bear with the 270. It's just what I shoot. Well, what I use that for, um, I use that in my caribou too. Um, sure. but you know, it's just, it's fine. I, I think we, we can get caught up with all the, uh, with the gear and with the patterns and with the rifles and everything else. And, I don't know. We should, I don't know, talk about whatever you want, I guess. <laughs> I know, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to be guilty cause I'm kind of a gearhead, you know, and I, and I like my stuff to be, uh, you know, work well. And I mean, just like anybody, but I can see myself just kind of going down a rabbit hole once it comes to, you know, rifles and, that is like one area yeah that I'm very inexperienced other than like what I have but I could see you know down the line you know maybe evolving to something else but yeah right now this is what I've had and I've taken lots of different critters with it so it's done a pretty good job for me yeah I think it's uh I equate this to to fly fishing a lot when I first started off fly fishing I had that you know $75 starter kit so the thing casted like a two by four but because mm-hmm. I didn't know any different, like it was just what I had. And then once you get more yeah, experience, you start to think, all right, well, this is what I want. And if I want a fly rod that's six inches longer, I want it to be more forgiving, more stiff or whatever it is. And then once you have a frame of reference, then you can want something more. But as far as the rifle goes, I haven't found anything that I really would want different. Like I don't, I don't, I still don't well, know after the, after the hunting and after everything, I don't know what I would benefit from getting a rifle that's more expensive or more anything else. So especially yeah. shooting from where I do, I'm not shooting 600 yards. I'm not doing any of those sort of things. Yeah. And I mean, you know, if, if you or I are like, we got in a scenario, like the only, like I can picture myself like in sheep country, you know, uh, mm. and I don't know if I'd feel comfortable shooting mine at, at 600. That's just one of those where you kind of got to go to the range and like really put in, the hours and the time to feel confident like shooting that that far accurately and i just haven't done that yet yeah it's funny too because i think the same thing with sheep when it comes to uh rifle and then also optics like really good set of uh binos and then spotting scopes you can really make a good decision um i've got vortex and i like it but again you know i'm not I'm using that mostly for scouting. I don't take it on my Alpine uh, deer hunts or or goat hunts or anything like that, but to really scrutinize, you need really, really good glass. And then I start thinking, well, you know, people also archery hunt sheep. So I'm thinking, man, I got to be prepared for at least 400 yard shot. But then, you know, dudes are sneaking up with stick bows. I'm like, "Eh, all right, well, whatever. You're getting into 40 yards. Cool. Neat. I'll just go throw myself off a cliff now. Yeah. It's that's, that's the thing too, is it's so easy to compare yourself and think, man, this person has, you listen to Tyler Friel's podcast and, um, in his place where he records the podcast, he's got all of his sheep, like looking down at you. Like, Oh my gosh, this is crazy. This guy's like just a like, sheep, a sheep master. Same. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the cool thing about him is like, he's not a, he doesn't have that arrogance. Like he doesn't sound like the type of person who thinks he's better than everybody else. But man, you just look at some people's resume and what they're able to do and the stories they have. And man, man, you're, you're so much better than I am at the outdoor stuff. But like, that's, that's a trap too. 
Oh my God, it all is. It's like, there's just, you can't compare. And, you know, there's those guys out there that want to showboat and, you know, think that whatever they're shooting is better than the next guy. Or like, you're not as good. Oh, because I'm a bow hunter. And that makes me, and it's just, there's so much whatever measuring going on. It's like, as long, we're all on the same team here. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't, doesn't matter. Like, we're all in the outdoor space. We all, for the most part, hopefully have the same goals and we're going about it like, in the proper way it's like there's just there's quite a bit of competition and not always healthy Mm -hmm. you know who are some people that you look up to and think that they're they're doing it pretty well oh man um i had a, a buddy ask me the other day like you know who's a who's a chick that you think is just like like the real deal, you know, like not doing anything for like cloud or whatever the right way. And, you know, her and I are like kind of new friends, but I'd probably say Tana Mm. who lives up in King Salmon, Tana Grenda, like their life revolves around, you know, hunting and providing and then teaching their kids, like the younger generation, you know, everything as far as like, trapping processing meat like taking care of yourself out in the field like their world revolves around the outdoor space and you know it's pretty admirable and um i definitely enjoy like keeping up with her and checking in every once in a while um so i'd probably say her and really it's like you know on the opposite end too like anybody that's like new that's just like me that was like trying to get after it and figure things out. It's like, they're just as inspired, you know, inspiring as anybody else. It's like, cause I was just in, in their shoes, you know, five years ago. Mm-hmm. So I think both ends of the spectrum are, you know, it's pretty neat. Do, do people ask you more what woman hunter you look up to or just hunter in general? I have actually, I mean, I've never really had anybody besides my one buddy and you, um, ask me hmm. so um you know like i i i don't want to say that like i don't really look up to anybody it's like i feel like i'm inspired by a lot of different people and it's like oh that that hunt looked badass or that looked challenging as shit like that's cool i want to try that or like maybe on my next hunt i'll you know do what he did or what she did and mm-hmm. There's just so many people that are that are kicking ass in the outdoor space. So it's really hard to like pinpoint even just a handful. Yeah. Me at least. Yeah, I think it's. I was talking with a friend, uh, female hunter down down lower forty eight, and she was saying there's kind of this. It's 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 a subtle like diss to say, uh, or in the industry because it's like oh it's just a badass for girl type attitude that some of the, some of the people have about, uh, women hunters. And I was, I thought, I don't know if that, I don't even know what that means. I, that I, mean? Yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't know. Cause I think, and I think that growing up here is that you just know like badassery is badassery. It doesn't matter if you're a guy or a girl, it's just part of the culture up here. You just do the thing. And so I... we don't really have to have this sort of, well, <laughs> Hey, that's, that's pretty impressive for a girl versus, you know, a man could, definitely do it better it's i grew up knowing so many people who like they everyone like had the had the potential it's just yeah. part of the culture and it didn't really matter either way yeah i i totally agree and like 
you know, it was funny when I came out with that last load and John was back at the truck on this elk hunt, you know, I kind of like to tease and call him my Alaska dad because my dad doesn't live here. And, you know, he invited me on this hunt. So it's like, there's part of me that's feeling this pressure. Like I want to make him proud, you know, like, cause I know people are going to ask, Oh, how'd the elk hunt go? And I just, I felt like I wanted to do him right, you know? And so when I'm coming down with this last load and I had like two racks of ribs and um, the head on my back, he was like, forced me to stop. And he's like, wait, 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 I want to take your picture. You know, <laughs> he was like, man, you are one, you're one tough dude, you know? And it was just <laughs> so cute. And uh, just like you said, though, it's like badassery takes all, all form. And it's like, you can't deny somebody like getting after it you know male or female like to me it doesn't really matter and it's like especially because I'm in like that fire department space also so you know it it kind of is transferable I don't know there's um, a few people on the department or maybe that used to be that uh, would get offended by the term fireman Mm that's just like, we're all firemen. We're all outdoorsmen. We're all, you know, we're all doing the same thing, have the same goal. Mm -hmm. So, you know, not everybody looks at it, looks at it that way, but I think we both do. Yeah. And there's a few other people that do also. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so what's next on the, you got the, you got the blacktail trip. Uh, what are you looking forward to, uh, with regards to that? Yeah. Um, like I kind of mentioned before, there's a there's a little bit of stress taken away because I know what to anticipate this time. Uh, whereas last year, it was just a little bit of anxiety about the unknown of like how we're going to hunt, what we're going to hunt, like the entire operation. So I'm going in this year, you know, still with like high hopes of being successful, but just kind of a little bit more at ease and um, just excited to kind of get back over there. And, you know, last year being my first year, I, I was like, I get it now. I get it. Why people are obsessed with Kodiak and, you know, always go back year after year. So you got to get over there. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it, it does it like, you know, kind of sucks you in. Like you'll get lured in by days like I had last week and then it'll kick you in the ass and, you know, spit you out, but mm-hmm. then it'll be sunny again the next day. Then you're like, God, I freaking love it here, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's uh I don't have much of a desire to go to Kodiak. I think uh the things are, you know, pretty comparable down here, um, as yeah. far as like black tailed uh deer go and, and mountain goat. But uh yeah, the the elk. Um and we have elk down here too, but I think that a fog neck is kind of an iconic uh, elk hunt. Um Do you put do you put in for elk every year? Uh, yeah, I have, uh, I don't win anything. So I just, I mean, I don't even know if I put in last year for it, but, uh, there's some caribou tags and of course some, some sheep tags that, uh, that'll never draw. Um, but <laughs> Not with that attitude. <laughs> I'm trying to reverse jinx it. <laughs> yeah. You'll show them. <laughs> yeah. I think the, the cool thing about it is like, if, if you, you save money, like you're going to do it anyway. And so then if you don't draw, you can immediately just start thinking, okay, well, let's plot something else. Let's go big somewhere. So it's either going big with a hunt that I draw or going big with something I didn't draw, but maybe you can get a little bit further away. You can make that over the, over the counter tag experience a little bit more, uh, a little more fun, a little bit more adventurous. So 
I mean, it's, it's super cliche, but man, we're all a winner just by living here. Um, I mean, and that's, what's so funny is cliche. Like you said, as it sounds like, you know, when people say, Oh yeah, I can't go this year. I didn't draw anything. I just look at them and I'm like, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, I might be, I might have been like, Oh yeah, totally. What a bummer. And now I'm like, are you crazy? Just go pick something and go hunt it. Mm-hmm. Like you don't a tag. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we definitely are lucky in that sense. And I, yeah, not agree more. Yeah. That's the, I, I, I get scared about if you start to adopt that. And if you don't do something new or fresh or whatever, you just fall into that routine. And, um, I don't think it is with like the, the moose, you know, people go to their moose camp and cause that's usually you know, like a two week season. So you take your, you do your seven days or you ever do that. But, um, just that idea of only having like one experience per year. So 51 weeks out of the year, you're dreaming about that one week, which you can do, but if you don't do anything else, you're missing out on so much and you have to be involved in so many other things in Alaska just to make it through. Cause hunting season, I mean, if you just hunt, blacktail deer if you just hunt moose or you just do a doll sheep hunt there's so much else to do and it's if you like don't, god what, it, a, what a piece oh. of normal job to do yeah i i why yeah i, I don't know it, it kind of oh i don't know like i had a buddy that's kind of been trying to rope me in into this profession that he's in and meanwhile he's also telling me he's going on his first vacation in eight years and i'm like bro i go on a vacation every five days like no way i'm <laughs> I go do what you're doing. I don't care that you make more money than I do. That sounds miserable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I, I wish that uh, part of the recruitment process wasn't just recruiting new hunters so that we'd have more advocates. I wish it was more just recruiting that lifestyle of just doing something that makes you happy on the weekends, you know, as simple as possible, just something. And, you know, that's the, the thing about Alaskans, the fact that we have the, you know, the abuse or, uh, rates that we do and the, suicide rates that we do because i mean it's tough to get through the winters it's cold it's dark and all that but there's so many productive things that we can do heading into winter that you you just got to be connected to a community and whether it's a hunting community or hiking community or fat tire biking community there's just something to get you out so you know you can live the best of of everything that's up here and um, it's really sad that someone can live here and not see it as just full of opportunities yeah i have a hard time you know, and I'm sure you do too with people that are on the opposite end of that spectrum and just, you know, don't see the value or don't appreciate what, what they have here. Um, you know, and then we're probably like, so what, why do you live here? You know, it's Mm -hmm. like, go live somewhere else, you know? Uh, but not everybody has that luxury or that kind of mindset yet. Sometimes it takes something to push them a little bit out of their comfort zone. Yeah. I see that with students and it's outside of their control because they're kids, but mm-hmm. you know, even like their parent teacher conferences, there's always a couple of parents who are like, yeah, you know, we used to go, I try to get them out hunting and we used to go hunting when we were younger or fishing, but now, you know, he just likes to play games or, or, you know, be on the phone or this, that. I'm thinking, oh man, that's, that's so bad because a, a kid doesn't realize those pressure, the, the amount of time that you have with your parents after you graduate high school is so small comparatively. And to have those meaningful trips to the outdoors to hunt or hike or fish or be miserable in a forest service cabin or just something, you know, that's the opportunity just goes. And, yeah. you know, and the kids that, uh, there used to be that nice buffer. You went to West, right? In Anchorage. And I did. 
Yep. Yeah, and you were you were there before at the social media and everything proliferated. So like you had to be you had to be friends in person with people and it just made the experience so much richer and now it's you know, I hate to be the old person who's just complaining about the social media, but man, it's that's one of the one of the problems we'll have going forward. Yeah, I feel like we grew up in a good in a good time, you know. We saw a lot, you know, like the internet and um just just so much happened you know i'm almost 40 maybe i'm almost 40 <laughs> in a few years um but yeah i feel like we kind of had it when it was good and maybe even earlier um yeah i couldn't imagine you know trying to be a teacher in the age that we're in now with all the distractions of a teacher or a parent you know kind of scary yeah it's kind of hard to be interesting i used to get a lot of laughs when i dress up as like buddy the elf or something like that but now kids have scrolled through so many reels of so much ridiculous stuff like it's hard to compete yeah i can only imagine god i didn't even think that's so funny i freaking love elf Um, so uh, to, to kind of close here, what would you recommend to someone who is, uh, just getting into hunting or thinking about hunting or, you know, what's kind of your pitch? I know you kind of mentioned it, but, uh, what, what would be your pitch to get into it? Man. Yeah. I guess, you know, my first suggestion would be to kind of connect with anybody that you're close with or maybe not close with. Um, you kind of got to put yourself out there a little bit and be a little bit vulnerable and recognize like, okay, Hey, I'm new to this space and I, I want to get involved and I don't really know what to do, but I'm ready to learn and just kind of have a positive outlook and force yourself to get uncomfortable and recognize that there's going to be a lot of uncomfortable scenarios and, that's all kind of part of the fun. That's kind of what I did when I, you know, found myself like a single woman wanting to get involved. I messaged John and I was like, well, the first thing he suggested that I do was become a member of SCI. Um, and so I did that, got invited to a few meetings, a few things, and then events, and then you meet other people and you kind of just got to keep the ball rolling and stay involved. Um, another thing, like go to a local you know, I'd never picked up a bow before until last fall. I went into um, a shop here in Anchorage and fully was like, I want to learn how to shoot a bow. And I spent like four hours in there and mm. ended up taking a lesson from somebody. So it's really just getting out of your comfort zone, recognizing that there's going to be a lot of learning and uncomfortability. But it's like, if you want to do it, it's like, it's all part of the process and all part of the fun. And that much more rewarding, you know, if you just grind it out, you know, nothing, nothing that's, uh, earned is easy. So mm-hmm. awesome. That would probably be my pitch. That's a good pitch. <laughs> thanks Emily for being on. I really appreciate it. Uh, always great to talk to you and, uh, looking forward to, to seeing the recap of, uh, your cool. next adventure. Yeah. Thanks. Appreciate you. Take care. Bye.